0: This is the Darcy Giro Podcast, episode number six. Today my guest is Tim Moen. He's a paramedic and the former leader of the Libertarian Party of Canada. We'll be talking about the problems with Canada's socialized healthcare system. Tim Moen is back. Like we promised, and we're going to talk about healthcare. Uh, how you doing, Tim?
1: Oh man, I just uh, I got absolutely pounded last night uh, by our healthcare system. I felt like the glue holding it together. You know, it was uh, just one one call after another, waiting in line in the emergencies. It was, um, yeah, yeah. There's definitely. A sense from most healthcare practitioners that things are falling apart it's not uh it's not looking good for the old the old socialist healthcare system uh right now so so yeah i'm trying to drive in some caffeine right now darcy and uh have a chat with you about it you
0: know what i mean so are you just waking up coming off of night shift yeah i was yeah okay well thanks for making the time
1: yeah no problem
0: I know that you're the right guy to have on here to talk about healthcare, uh, because you have that type of first-hand experience. And from what I know, I think your whole family works in healthcare to some degree. Is that correct?
1: Yep. Yep. My wife is an eMERGE nurse. I'm a paramedic. My two daughters are also paramedics now, and uh, yeah, so we have a whole family of healthcare practitioners.
0: Right. Yeah. So. It's what you. That's what you do for a living. Now, can you just expand on what that firsthand experience gives you, as far as exposure to some of the flaws in our healthcare system?
1: Right. Well, I mean, obviously, it gives me firsthand kind of immersive experience. Right. It's like we and look, all healthcare practitioners can see the flaws. They they see what's going on. Um, but not a lot of them have the um, theoretical uh, or philosophical framework to try to figure out what the problem is here. Um, you know it, it's it, and and so I, I think that makes me somewhat unique in that uh, you know, I've studied political philosophy, economic systems, uh, and you know I can kind of <laughs> see from a systemic point of view why this is happening, right? You know, the, the, the proximate cause of my anguish maybe might be the the uh, ER manager who, instead of giving me a kudos about the, the life I just saved thanks to my quick thinking, sends, you know, make places a phone call to my supervisor about how I didn't have my gown tied up properly. Um, you know, I might be tempted to bitch about her because she that bitch didn't recognize the good work I did the value I brought to that patient's life the life today because of me rather she focused in on the fact that I wasn't 100% compliant with COVID regime policy um, I, I could you know the average healthcare worker might be tempted to fo- fixate on that nurse. Well, I look at the broader system and say, well, why is it that there, there's a person doing this? Why is it that that person is grumpy like this? And why is it that their incentive isn't to give me kudos uh, or about the job well done, but to to uh, rat me out because uh, I wasn't 100% compliant with this policy. So I look at, at all these interactions through a different lens than the average healthcare practitioner, but I'm also experiencing all these things that other health care practitioners are experiencing at the same time, um, you know. I don't, it's funny actually because so, I was with my partners last night, and I, I generally have a fairly optimistic attitude, you know, uh, because what else are you gonna do? What, what else are you gonna do in the face of absolutely getting <laughs> pounded, treating like treated like crap, you know? I you, you have to laugh at it because the alternative is you, you start crying and <laughs> you're done kind of thing right but they were they were like well how how are you able to maintain such a a positive attitude through all this right because a lot of people take all this stuff personal and it is personal but also um i recognize that this is a broader problem this is a systemic problem um this is a problem of ideas the the infrastructure of ideas that um that make our system and and so you know I, i i can't Necessarily blame the people around me who aren't behaving um, the way I'd like them to for the problems that I'm seeing out there. but
0: It seems obvious that the Canadian healthcare system was totally inadequate to deal with the COVID 19 pandemic. But most of those problems existed long before COVID came along, also. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean,
1: look, I've been doing this for geez, 30 years now. And, you know, I actually got my start in politics because um, the the provincial government here in Alberta was taking over EMS services in 2009. You know, up until 2009, it was a municipal responsibility. And some municipalities would contract uh, services from private ambulance provider. Uh, Some some uh, municipalities would provide direct services themselves, um, and it, it worked far better. At least you had local control, right? It, it was far from a market-based system. You know, when when we when um, most critics of private health care criticize private health care, what they're actually talking about is something different than than what you and I might call private health care. They're talking about uh, government-granted monopoly. On healthcare to a private company, right? And so, you know, that would be a, a Joe's private ambulance service. who gets the contract with the county to provide emergency services. They're the only ambulance allowed to operate. They're the, you know, and they they make their money off, um, um, you know, undercutting either their employee employees or their patient. It's not about again. There's no incentive to provide high level of value, um, because they're not competing with anyone. So, so the quality tends to suffer. But, um, so, so anyways, in 2009, the province decided that it was going to, that, that EMS was part of the healthcare system and that therefore it was their jurisdiction, uh, the provinces to provide healthcare, obviously, because that's a Canadian value and that Canada Health Act. And they went around and asked Albertans. And I remember this back in, the late '90s, early 2000s, there were all these town halls, and they came. I went to one, and the one question they asked, the primary thing that they were trying to get from Albertans was, "Hey, Albertans, do you think that ambulance services are healthcare?" And obviously, people are like, "Well, yeah, they're healthcare. They're providing healthcare," uh, and and so then in 2009, they could say, "Well, Albertans have spoken loud and clear. EMS is healthcare, and therefore, it's a provincial." Uh, jurisdiction. So they, yeah. You know, so I, I could see where how all this was going to be detrimental to my community, to my profession. We were going the opposite direction, where the direction we should have been going was towards decentralized, more market-based approaches. We were heading the opposite direction towards more centralization, bigger government approaches to healthcare, socialist approaches. And and I saw how the socialist approach worked in with EMS in, in other provinces like. BC, and and I sounded the alarm, and and so um, you know that's how I got my start in in politics was was by trying to fight fight this for my community. Um, so so I've seen, and of course you know I did, I, I predicted exactly how this was going to go. Um, that that resources demand would continue to rise, uh, incentives to to use the system would continue to rise because now. There's, it, it's completely free to Albertans. So why would you call a cab when you can just call an ambulance? Um, and, and and we're gonna, you know, have poorly managed, um, inefficiently distributed resources. And, and that's where we're at now. So as, a, as an ambulance, so as a paramedic uh, near Edmonton in a county, Strathcona County, um, I'm considered a provincial resource when I'm on the ambulance and they could basically send me wherever they want. It's a borderless system. That's how HS EMS was conceived that you know we want a borderless system where ambulances go where they're needed. And so of course ambulances empty out of all the suburban and and rural communities around big centers and get stuck in big centers because that's where all the calls are and to the detriment of these rural areas. So um, so anyways, we, I mean, we could talk a little bit more about that, but, but I've seen over 30 years, this, um, this, you know, this shift and, um, it's, it's not good. Uh, we'd be in a much better spot if things were decentralized.
0: hmm Yeah. Well, we'll get to some solutions and the decentralization part in a few minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm curious though, how much worse, are things now than pre-covid uh what was the effect of the lockdowns had not covid in particular but i'm really curious well if we were to balance one against the other the uh covid lockdown measures versus the uh, the impact of covid itself uh what is that what does that look like
1: yeah yeah well uh, okay, well, and, and I don't think I adequately—I I remember what your last question was. I kind of went on a side tangent. It's like, um, y- you know, that were there cracks in the healthcare system before COVID, right? And yes, there were. I mean, th- this has been building up for a while, and uh, and the COVID regime over the last two years really exposed what those what those cracks are, put, accelerated that the path we were on. Um, so before COVID happened. Uh, you know, we were, you know, I'll just speak from an EMS perspective We're we're waiting long hours in hospital hallways with, uh, relatively low acuity patients, right? So, uh, someone would call an ambulance, we'd bring them in and we would be triaged with all the other patients in the waiting room. And quite often there were far more acute patients coming in, sitting in the waiting room than us. And so they would look at us as essentially, um, Hallway nannies or hallway nurses, right? Uh, we're we're part of the healthcare system now. In the old days, what would happen is we'd get to the hospital, and if they made us wait for say more than 20 30 minutes to to offload a patient, our supervisors back at our home departments or municipalities were on the phone to charge nurse saying, "Hey, we need our ambulances back in our community, protecting our community. Get those patients offloaded now, so we can get." You know, and and somehow the nurses would find a bed for the patient right now, put more strain on the nurses, obviously, because they're overwhelmed by the amount of people coming in under resourced always, you know, that's one of the first laws of economic demands are infinite and and resources are scarce. Um, But now they have an opportunity to use paramedics to offload and lighten some of their workload. Um, and so we get stuck in the hallway. So, so all these things were happening, you know, other things that were happening were, uh, everything like you were more and more a cog in the system. Whereas at the start of my career, you were considered a a healthcare practitioner. Like you were a professional practitioner. You had, um, a professional body that you belonged to that, that self-regulated. Um, we were all very engaged in our profession. We were looking at neighboring jurisdictions to see what innovative things they were doing Um, you know like i remember when 12 lead ecgs came out and then thrombolytic therapy like clot busters for for heart attacks came out we remember looking at uh, a nearby ems service with jealousy as when they became one of the first jurisdictions in north america to be providing that uh, level of care and we're like we need to do some research and get figure out what we need to do to get this level of care and service for so there was like a competition between services a friendly competition it was like everyone trying to raise their game to be better right because you you saw what, what what services other services were doing and you wanted to outdo them um and 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 so now now that had changed under the provincial system to uh there's one set of elite kind of um people who know the science Telling us what the protocols are going to be and what we're going to do, and and kind of dumbing it down to the lowest common denominator, um, because you know some practitioners aren't as skilled, and therefore, uh, you know the more uh, I guess involved uh, skills and, and treatments that that we were doing, like the high-level stuff that required regular engagement and training and staying on top of things, that provided real service. Well, sometimes those things are more risky in the hands of a less skilled practitioner. And so what we need to do for the safety of, of patients is dumb things down to the less skilled practitioner level. So so we I saw this erosion of, of protocols of care. Uh, we stopped being able to participate as readily in in how our protocols were being shaped for our service because now it was at a provincial level, at a much higher level, by these elite kind of intelligentsia uh, healthcare bureaucrats. uh, And and more and more you got the sense that you were just a pawn in this system and completely powerless, completely uh, cut off from from being an autonomous practitioner, exercising their own... Uh, independent clinical judgment in the, you know, for for the best of the patient. Now you got the very real sense that you were more and more becoming an object of compliance of this system, um, and they were they're marking you on how closely, not not even how closely you follow the protocol, but uh, what you documented. And so it, it became very clear even before COVID that the most important thing to our the people stroking our paychecks was our patient care reports the data we collected for the state and patient care actually got in the way of us doing our job which was collecting data for the state and filling out all the ticky boxes and gathering all the pertinent information so you know the amount of paperwork i have to do now it takes me uh, you know it could take 45 minutes to an hour uh, for a patient, whereas in the past it would take five to ten minutes to jot down what I did for the patient and and the treatments and everything else, uh, now I have all these data fields to fill out, and and patient care gets in the way of that. Like if my patient has has high demands, like hey I'm in pain or hey I got to use a washroom or hey I'm cold, can you get me a blanket or you know that whatever whatever their ailment is, it's like it, it's um, it's getting in the way of me doing my job, and so more and more I'm seeing practitioners kind of like. Get frustrated with patients um, because th- these demanding patients were demanding <laughs> fucking healthcare, uh, and I'm trying to do my job here, right? Of filling out these reports. So, so all that was going on. Um, we're seeing a rise in low acuity calls uh, because now Albertans are realizing healthcare is free, and they're, you know, using it for rides. And, and then you, you come into the COVID regime and all those things get put on steroids, right? Because now, now the managers that believe they ought to be in charge and that employees are, are objects of compliance and ought to follow what your dictates are, they have just been given the biggest excuse in the world, the biggest opportunity in the world to exercise their authoritarianism and their elitism and their, their um, you know, make themselves indispensable, right? And so every every week, new rules, having to comply with new things. It's difficult to keep up with. Uh, they're having to hire people to to watch you to be compliance monitors. Um, you know, just ridiculous things. Um, I, I, you know, we we would have isolation rooms where people who screen positive for COVID would go. I remember this. They have someone watching how you put on and Doff your PPE going into this room because you don't wanna, okay, fair enough, but then the patient has to go use the washroom and they they just walk out of the room and down the hallway past like, uh, you know, 20 healthcare practitioners who aren't gowned up and and into the washroom and then back into the room. It's like, things just don't make sense, right? There's just rules being made for the sake of rules being made and, and that continued on. So you're just it, it, getting beaten down by this regime that has got an eagle eye on you, that is monitoring everything you do, that sees you as a, a cog in their system that they run and nothing more, and it's dehumanizing. And so, uh, a, a, you know, and, and then, you know, to top it off, uh, you know, one of the things we're seeing, well, I'll, I'll get to the post COVID because I'm seeing an interesting trend now I'd like to talk about, but, <clears throat> What we saw as a result of this, and, and look, I had a few COVID patients. Some of them were were quite sick, but it, the call volume in terms of acute, you know, it, it wasn't off the charts. What was off the charts was the the step the hoops we had to jump through to please these managers, um, and that's what what really burned people out. It wasn't the the volume of, of patients we were seeing. Our volume, I don't think, changed all that much uh, in terms of COVID patients um increasing our our call volume it was just all the rules we had to follow and the way we were treated uh, the absolutely demoralizing way we were treated i mean this is one of the best professions in the world in terms of being able to help someone in their time of need on their worst day and seeing immediate feedback of improvement and and value that you're providing to someone like that that is a very meaningful job it's a fun job and they've sucked all the joy and meaning out of, out of your work because that, that, you know, so, so, you know, in, in Edmonton, for example, now um, there's anywhere from 40 to 60% of full-time paramedics are off on stress leave. Right. And, and of course, if you're, if you have the option to get paid to stay home rather than to come into this toxic environment, you're going to take option A of stay to, Get paid to stay home. Why would you want to come into this environment to get treated like crap? To have a job that that is devoid of purpose and meaning, uh, that makes you feel like uh, a complete and utter pawn in the system, and that's just uh, paramedics. You know, I, I know that that nurses are exactly the same way. So, <clears throat> I th- you know, healthcare shortages are on the rise right now and it's not because of COVID, it's because of the COVID regime. This COVID regime has absolutely battered healthcare workers down.
0: So now that we are, for the most part, done with COVID restrictions and lockdowns, hopefully they don't come back, uh, what kind of trends, what kind of, what kind of calls are you getting today uh, now that the pandemic is over?
1: Right. Well, you know, we touched on how staffing is a real issue, but while while we're having a staffing shortage system-wide, we're also seeing a dramatic increase in um, in demand for healthcare. And, you know, you, you might tell, you know, the COVID enthusiasts, let's say, might say that all these health concerns are the result of long-term effects from COVID, you know, uh, if you're an anti-va- anti-vaxxer, you might say, well, all these health effects are the obviously the effect of vaccines. Uh, I've got a different take on things. What I'm seeing out there is what I would label uh, COVID regime-induced hypochondria or anxiety. And this manifests in a number of ways. A number of overdoses are up, Uh, dramatically Um, uh, you know just psychological general levels of anxiety are up and I think we can attribute this to isolation to um, being detached from from a life of meaning let's say uh, by being told you're dependent wards of the state that sort of thing Uh, but we've also been telling people for the past two years that they're not to trust themselves with their own health care they're not to trust their judgment, trust the experts, trust the science. And you know we're seeing such low acuity calls now. I mean, low acuity calls have been an issue from the moment the province took over and, and made the service free, right? Because every Tom, Dick, and Harry um, can now use the ambulance as a ride. But it's really off the charts now. You know, the other day I did a, a couple calls for you know people now have SpO2 monitors, like oxygen saturation monitors. A lot of people from from COVID, right, because they're, they want they wanted to monitor their O2 levels because they know that one sign of, of bad COVID is that your oxygen levels drop. Um, people have gotten blood pressure machines and different things like that. Well, now whenever they see an aberrant number, so so I had someone call because their their blood pressure machine showed that they might be having an arrhythmia, okay? They didn't have any symptoms, they, they didn't feel sick, but their blood pressure machine told them something might be wrong. So they called an ambulance and we go over there and give them the head to toe, do an ECG. No, nope, there's absolutely nothing wrong. You know, um, another person, um, uh, you know, and, and I, I do numerous calls like that, just an aberrant reading on a machine inducing anxiety thinking there might be something wrong with me Um, anxiety attacks and panic attacks I've never seen so many in my life Um, people thinking that they're having a medical emergency when it's just anxiety or panic for for whatever reason you know who knows what the triggering events why is panic on the rise why is anxiety on the rise Um, and and just general anxiety about little aches and pains you got a stuck fart what if I have appendicitis? Or what if I, I better just get it checked out to be safe? And that's why I called you guys because I didn't know what this pain was, and I just wanted to be safe. And, and so we're seeing a huge rise in in low acuity calls, and, and I, um, I I see that as incredibly troubling because um, it's it's representative of people being detached from self sovereignty, from being owners owners of their own body, of, of understanding what's going on with their own body, of completely Submitting their their sovereignty over to the the expert class, the the state class of people, and um, and, and you know it's clogging up the healthcare system. It's it's robbing us of resources. It's ta- you know it's it's just bad on so many levels, um, and, and it's a troubling sign, and it's only increasing. So uh, I, I attribute that again directly to. The COVID regime and and the devastating psychological impacts it's had on the population in general. So,
0: so you touched on this a little bit. Um, an injured person is not really considered a customer in our current system. Uh, the government, the administrators who uh, are manage, you know, the Canadian Health Act stuff, uh, they're, they're treated more like the customer. Uh, likewise, you as a healthcare provider, you're not really able to perform any type of entrepreneurial function. Um, can, you, can you explain what the benefits of a more direct uh, customer-provider relationship would be? Sure. Well, I mean,
1: so with my with my employer, my
0: municipality. Uh, you know,
1: I, I work for a municipality. I don't work for the Alberta government. We have we're contracted to provide EMS for in our area with with the provincial government. So we're under control of AHS when I'm on the ambulance because. We're contracted to them but we thought you know our county is fairly well off and we we have a growing an aging demographic a lot of seniors homes a lot of uh seniors who you know our our local politicians would like to see get better health care better treatment and we had the opportunity to give them that care in our service um and and so i became a project manager for a community care paramedic program and community care paramedicine is when you provide point of care in a patient's home so so healthcare around the world is kind of moving away from bricks and mortar uh, institutions to more uh, in in patients meeting meeting patients where they're at cuz healthcare can be doesn't have to be done in an, in a bricks and mortar institution it might be better done in the patient's home and and that's what what we're finding right and so community care paramedic would go to like let's say you have a senior who doesn't have much mobility can't get to their doctor's office uh who has uh, a history of, of copd or or congestive heart failure where their lungs are are full of fluid but it's being managed but suddenly they develop a bit of a cough right maybe Um, a a bit of a cold. And we know that these people are at risk of developing pneumonia and life-threatening pneumonia. and that that pneumonia can get life-threatening very quickly for someone who's that fragile. So community care paramedics are kind of proactive. They go in while the the issue is small and they, they do an assessment and they coordinate with the family physician, maybe draw some blood work facilitate a prescription for antibiotics. Now this person uh, has nipped the pneumonia in, in the bud before it became a problem. Whereas the system now is that, that pneumonia develops into full-blown pneumonia until that person has a life-threatening issue. And now we call 911 and now we go to Emerge and we clog up Emerge and get in the healthcare line there to get get treatment. Uh, so community care paramedics are becoming uh, you know uh, an integral part of healthcare systems around the world because they save the system money. They unclog public systems. They uh, they get patient patients better care, different things like that. So I spent a year working on this project, um, diving into the data, trying to figure out what the the demand or the needs in the community were. What what type of patients would benefit from this to target those? I I nurtured relationships, had stakeholder meetings with different seniors groups and 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 home care and 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 different people in the community that had an interest in seeing our seeing this cohort of people supported and ahs just said nah we're not going to do that you're not going to do that so our our county spent all this money and i spent all this work a year of my life basically wasted so now covid comes along and i had done all this work on a community care paramedic program thinking well if our county can't do it and if ahs isn't going to do it why why can't i just do it as an?" an enterprising healthcare worker in this community. I've got a house full of healthcare workers. My daughters are underemployed, We're underemployed at the time. You know, they were just getting started. And my wife's a nurse. I mean, we've, we, this could be a great family enterprise, right? And there would be, we're in a very wealthy county and there'd be a lot of people more than willing to pay for the type of service that I we could provide them. At the same time, we would be expanding healthcare capacity and decreasing the burden on the public system so you'd seem like it seemed like this would be a triple win right both for the public system for uh, our family and for the patient and um, I, of course there's absolutely no way i can start that that type of service i, I mean I, I might be able to after uh, a year or two of bureaucratic wrangling and getting ahs permissions and playing ball with them but it's simply not worth the effort for me to go through that to, to, you know, there's so many ways it could get derailed and not happen, right? If that was out of the picture, if AHS was out of the picture, if government was out of the picture, if it was just me and my client and maybe, uh, you know, an insurance company or something like that for liability uh, or or someone who, to certify me to tell the client that, yes, Tim is trained to this level. Um, if that was all it was, I could have been up and running within a week and providing service to these people in our communities who were scared shitless from the COVID regime, constantly blasting how dangerous this virus was, huddling in their home, scared, shivering, letting medical genuine medical issues go unaddressed because they didn't want to go to the hospital uh, and rightfully so, and they didn't want to clog up a merge either, they didn't want to get exposed. All you know, we could have expanded healthcare so much by just getting government out of the way and letting people like me loose to, to provide care to to people who were wanting it. And, uh, you know, and so, so that's that's the difference, right? Um, you know, and, and that would be a good first step. Uh, you know, look, if, if you love public health care and you don't want to get rid of it, well, how about as a first step, we just legalize health care. We just end prohibitions on health care. We let someone like me treat someone in my community down the street um, and, and provide a level of care for them that helps them that Im- improves their health that keeps them out of emergency departments that keeps them from clogging up the, the public health care system so that um, people who who maybe genuinely need the public health care system can can get seen <laughs> sooner right but of course um, that that is not allowed we can't you know have a two-tiered system, so to speak, where the rich people benefit from care from people like me, and the poor people have to go into the, the public system. You know, it's so so now it's become a race to the bottom rather than a race to the top.
0: Politicians tend to have a very short-term outlook, usually not beyond their next election. What does a political solution look like, and what is the viability? of it lasting long term
1: right right yeah and that that's a really good question you know this is something i've banged my head about and i'm right in the mix of this too right because you know our our department our union locally here is not happy with the province the way that they're kind of abusing its its members right we want local control back and so we're we're trying to figure out what what does that look like uh you know uh, Going back to the old ways where the municipalities run it would be a good step in the right direction But let's look at what would have to happen for municipalities to have control of say EMS back, right? First of all the Alberta um, health legislation would have to change um, because the health legislation makes AHS the the essentially the sole proprietor of healthcare in the province so even private physicians Um, you know, and I go to a private position where I pay out of pocket, like 300 bucks for an appointment. He, he optimizes my, uh, my hormone levels, for example, get, you know, so I'm taking testosterone from him to optimize him. You know, it's, it's, it's not, um, disease care, like most positions, it's, it's optimization. So it's private, but yet he still has to operate under the good graces of AHS like he could not operate if he was if AHS if he wasn't reporting to him and getting permission from him so AHS is a sole proprietor of healthcare in Alberta anyone who wants to practice healthcare has to go through them and that's because of the provincial legislation now why is the provincial legislation like that couldn't we just change the provincial legislation well no yet again it's not that simple because provincial legislation changed like it did in most provinces to harmonize with the Canada Health Act and the Canada health act says if you want you know the, these billions of dollars in healthcare transfer payments every year from the federal government to bolster your healthcare system um you will essentially ha- have to you, your your province has to be in charge of healthcare you can't and so essentially it bans uh bans most private options there are exceptions um but again uh, you know the the province is in charge of those exceptions, and and so so what essentially has to happen for our municipality to get control of healthcare back uh, of EMS back would be the Canada Health Act would have to change, and then the the provincial legislation would have to change. Now that's a huge feat. I mean, try to get that done. That will create now. Now I need to create a, a nationwide movement to amend the Canada Health Act or abolish it. Good luck with that. Right. So that's that's obviously the long term solution that would help us start moving in the right direction. But what could we do maybe right now? That's the question. What what could we do to make things better within the next few months or the next year or two? Well, one thing we could do is maybe create a provincial movement to decentralize healthcare, care, to, to push it back, to, to create borders in the system. Right. This idea of a borderless system um, has not done Albertans any favor the idea is lovely so you know if if someone in Edmonton is is needs an ambulance right now and there's no Edmonton ambulances available maybe I should go across that imaginary boundary and into Edmonton and 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 leave my my community unprotected and treat them right well the problem is that so for example Edmonton right now has something like 60% of its paramedics off on stress leave because of how horribly managed it is, how toxic the work environment is. Meanwhile, in my county, that that uh, absentee rate is much much lower. There's still, you know, and the absentee rate that's there is the result of, you know, AHS Metro policies essentially because guys are just getting burned out by and tired of being treated like, like crap, and they're they're dropping off. Uh, but still we we are always able to staff our ambulances and 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 meet our obligations yet edmonton it might be down 20 trucks okay because of the way they're managed so that means all these neighboring municipalities like strathcona st albert spruce grove leduc are all getting sucked into edmonton all these services that can keep their employees happy and 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 satisfied are the glue holding together Edmonton because it's borderless, right? And so we never see that Edmonton has a huge problem um, it, it, um, because of these this borderless system. Now you add borders in there and and pretty soon Edmonton is catastrophically failing. 60%, like half of its trucks off the road maybe at any given time, uh, there are people you know, uh, getting seriously harmed by this and the problem gets fixed much quicker. Right now we're covering up the problem that that there's failure and that the problem then starts to grow into our communities. And now we're starting to see our guys drop off, leave for other professions, uh, be off on stress leave, and that, that's gonna continue growing out. So now we have one single point of failure rather than a decentralized multiple, you know, where where if Edmonton fails, we we can, you know, fire some bureaucrats change up the system a little bit, try to figure out how to get more paramedics there, make this make the work environment better for them. And, and suddenly the system starts to become better, right? So we need borders back in the system. So what could that look like? Well, we know we can't go to municipalities, but AHS could break up into jurisdictions, right? They could say, look, yes, the province is still in charge of healthcare, but we need to decentralize control. We can't have all this centralized bureaucracy at the top creating a one-size-fits-all solution for everyone um, and, and treating employees like they're essentially a cog in the system. We need to get managers and supervisors and bosses closer to the employees and employees more engaged in, the, in their community and, and so on and so forth. And that might change a lot of things in terms of you know creating incentives for uh, a, a more nurturing and <laughs> a less toxic work environment, at least. Uh, for employees and and it would al- very quickly allow you to see where the where the real uh, weak spots in the system are uh, Because they would be exposed much quicker and you would fix those spots rather than cover them up with um, You know neighboring jurisdictions. So So I think AHS should should break, you know, the short-term solution is you decentralize create um, maybe regional boards again, or, or maybe you could do something with municipalities where you decentralize to municipalities and, and have like an AHS representative attached to municipalities. There are a number of ways you could potentially go with this. And then what you do is you start a long-term uh, project of trying to um, reform the Canada Health Act or abolish it and, and really allow provinces to run healthcare the way they want to run it and, and you could imagine a province that does a public-private partnership. And then the other thing you need to address ultimately is the income tax, right? Because the income tax gives the federal government all this leverage over provinces. So the federal government taxes, receives all this revenue from taxpayers in Alberta, and. And it then has this big pot of money it can use to distribute to provinces to do what they say. Well, if we got re- abolished the income tax, let's say, they wouldn't have any money to, to leverage the provinces. So. You know, why would I want to? Why would I need to even be compliant with the Health Act? There's nothing on the line for it. There, I'm not going to miss out on billions of health care transfer payments because the, the, the federal government doesn't have that money to give me. Rather, you know, I, as a, a province, I could try maybe increasing the income tax in my province to pay for a socialist health care system in my province, whereas maybe Alberta does something different, a public private partnership, where maybe. Saskatchewan does completely private thing and, and, you know, health insurance and different things like that. And then you get a true uh, uh, experiment in terms of different jurisdictions, trying different things and, and seeing what works. So, so those are some of the long-term fixes. I mean, ultimately you would have to fix income tax and that Canada health act to really get things um, to where you and I would want them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it looks like, canada is moving towards even closer ties with the world health organization it seems crazy given that our current system is so big and bloated and collapsing under its own weight and the most creative solution coming out of ottawa is to add another level of bureaucracy this time a global level of bureaucracy right because
1: darcy you see the problem is that Jason Kenney keeps wanting to privatize healthcare, and that's why everything's failing. If you read Rachel Notley's tweets, right? So, so the the underlying, th- you know, actually, I tweeted out something this morning. Uh, you go to uh, listeners go to at Moen underscore Tim if you want to see my brilliant tweets. Um, let's see what I, I so Rachel Notley this morning tweets out. Um, she tweets out, Alberta children should never, ever be forced to line up outside a hospital emergency room. We need better leadership. We need a government with a plan for public health care. as if public health care is the problem, right? So I retweet that with this uh, comment. Two Soviet women are waiting in line hours for their stale loaf of bread. Lady one, these lines are ridiculous. This is BS. Rachel Notley replies, don't complain. Capitalist countries don't even give their citizens bread. That's what I hear when I hear Rachel Notley complain that, that uh, you know, the problem is capitalism and we need a more robust, we need the state doing even more, right? But that's exactly how these people think. They think that we, we need, and it aligns with their incentives, right, to boss people around, to be more in charge of people's lives, to be seen as even more virtuous and more, um, you know, integral to the lives of everyone around them, that their virtue, that they'd be in charge, that they expand their scope. So of course, they're, they're not going to shrink it down and decentralize, they're going to expand. They see opportunities, they go to the World Economic Forum. You know, um, how are we gonna afford all this? Geez, the healthcare system's collapsing. Well, we just needed to reset everything. Let, let's have a great reset, so to speak. And and that might be, and so we need to re- revamp the, the capitalist economic system supporting this is failing so maybe we need more socialism a more green economy a more this and more that and and that you know it's a positive feedback loop of statism and um and and that's what these people see They, they, they don't see the public system as as the problem creating all this this uh suffering they don't see the state as the problem they see it as the solution. Uh, we need more of it. He, Tim Moen trying to start his local community care paramedic business—that that is uh, an absolute threat to uh, the healthcare system, and he's to blame for why things are are failing. Right? So, so yes, that that is, um, you know, the, again, the, these, the, the my day-to-day job me getting yelled at for a nurse for not having my gown tied up, waiting in the hallway, being treated like a cog in the wheel, this is, um, this isn't, this is the result of the infrastructure of ideas that our system is based on. Uh, and it's those ideas that are ultim- the ultimate cause of the patient suffering, of healthcare worker burnout, of uh, scarcity, of increasing uh, problems of a system about to collapse, um, it's not the nurse that just yelled at me about my gown and got me in shit, right? And, and so, um, yeah, and Rachel Notley and, and the purveyors of these bad ideas, and, and frankly, Canadians who can't think for themselves, who don't read books, who <laughs> are the ones to blame. They're the ones that are supporting this. It's not that, you know, that, that nurse is just the the bullet that they loaded into the gun and and pulled the trigger
0: on yeah. and aimed at yeah. me. Right, so, sure. uh, so we're a bit over time, but I want to ask you one more question. What kind of pressures exist in the healthcare industry to keep dissenting voices like yourself quiet?
1: Sure, yeah, no, great question. Um, well, uh, certainly, people that most healthcare workers work directly for AHS and. Um, one of the things that you have to do when you get hired with AHS is sign a non-disclosure agreement, which basically, which is basically a gag order that says you will not talk about AHS. Uh, You know, it's like fight club. We will not talk about fight club. Um, So you're very hamstrung in terms of, of talking about the one employer essentially in the province. Um, You can't complain about it. Um, And, (laughs) Yes. uh, You know, that even trickles down to to the municipal levels where we have good contracts with AHS and, you know, you know, like I got I got in trouble at work for uh, for standing up for my unvaccinated colleagues whose jobs were threatened by the AHS mandate. You know, I didn't really get in trouble. Like I didn't face any uh, strict discipline, but I was kind of warned to watch watch what I was saying because you know, it, it, I'm not, first of all, I'm saying something that isn't, that doesn't comport with the regime narrative, right? And so that, that paints a target on me and anyone associated with me. And, and so, you know, uh, you know, everyone, I guess, faces that at work to some degree or another, right? Like anyone who's out there being, being active politically and and in a way that goes against the, the, Standard narrative, the establishment narrative certainly pain, takes a bit of a risk, and, and so there's that. But yes, you can't talk about AHS. Um, you know, I, I I have to be careful about talking about um, about my calls in a way that you couldn't identify the patients. That's obviously a patient confidentiality thing, so that limits things to some degree. Or from AHS that says. You, talk about, so whistleblowing is almost impossible, um, the only way I, reason I know that, um, that AHS is down this many paramedics other than seeing the number, the, that I'm doing 70 to 80% of my calls in Edmonton rather than my home community, is that I hear from supervisors and different people who kind of whisper. This is what's going on, and they don't whisper it too loud because they don't want to paint a target on their back. Certainly, they never go to the media, and certainly, AHS bureaucrats are not incentivized to let the media know that that the healthcare system is failing and that that they can't keep staff happy because that would reflect badly on them. So, so the public never knows the true extent of the problem because um, all the the people with the information that is vital for us really getting a handle on what the problem is are gagged. And, you know, I, and, and again, I'm only seeing, um, my narrow window as well. I'm not seeing the whole picture. I, I'm, I'm sure there are nightmare, uh, things going on across the system, uh, in, on, on medical wards and ICUs and different things like that, 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 uh,
0: would probably blow, uh, our minds, but, uh. It seems like we could probably keep talking about this for a long time and we've really, only scratch the surface of how big a problem the uh, healthcare system is in Canada and Alberta in particular. Uh, So thanks a lot for coming on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, anytime.
0: That was Tim Moen, a paramedic fighting on the front lines of Canada's socialized healthcare system. You can follow him on Twitter at Moen underscore Tim. And to make sure that you never miss an episode of the Darcy Truro podcast, subscribe on Substack.